Now what's the word? Democracy. 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 You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. The seeds you sow will spread democracy. You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. Welcome everyone to Election Connection with me, Ruth Newman, your host. And as you all know out there, or I hope you know, we are all volunteer, community, radio, a nonprofit. And for that reason, we look to you for your ideas and your participation. You can come find us at www.forwardradio.org. Click on participate or click on donate or both. And I am very pleased to welcome back Dee Pregliasco, who is current president of the Louisville League of Women Voters. She's vice president of the Kentucky League of Women Voters. She's also a retired attorney and practicing mediator. So welcome, Dee. Thank you. Glad to be here. And now that we have completed the midterm election, I know that the League was very busy during that period doing all sorts of things, educating people, registering people, getting the word out there to vote. So I'm curious to know now that the election is over with, what is the League up to these days? Well, I guess I don't need to emphasize that the League is always about voting. So it doesn't matter that the midterm elections are over because in Kentucky, we have what we call off-year elections. So next year, all the constitutional offices are on the ballot. The governor, uh, the attorney general, the agricultural person, the state treasurer, all, all of those, what do we call, constitutional offices are on the ballot. So we're still going to be working on voting issues next year. So that means registering voters and educating voters. So those are sort of our two main focuses as far, just generally, and we're always doing those. So, for example, through the state, uh, the information that we get out to all of our members and to the public has to do with those two things, voting and getting out the vote. And we do that locally. And locally, we specifically do that with our Democracy in Action meetings, which are the third Monday of every month. This month, November, we had Professor Enid Trucios haynes who you featured on Forward Radio, who talked about sort of the, all of the history of voting and the attempts to keep people from voting and the, all the various amendments. We will not have such a program in December, but we'll meet again in January. We're in the process of making a decision about what that program will be on uh, the third Monday in January, mm -hmm. but it will probably have to do with the legislature because the Kentucky legislature starts meeting again for their short session, 30 days, uh, in January, so I'm sure we'll be focusing on that like we have in the past. We also, through the state, but through local support, will be working on two amendments through the legislature. And the legislature has to pass on amendments. In other words, they have to pass an actual law that sets up the amendment to be on the ballot at a later time. And that's to have automatic 
restoration of voting rights for people who've been convicted of felonies. That is former felons who have completed their sentence. And then our second push for an amendment uh, would be to have an independent redistricting commission. We were unsuccessful the last basically three or four years to try to get the legislature to set up its own sort of independent, but not by constitutional amendment, but their own redistricting commission and to have public hearings. Mm -hmm. uh, and we could never even get that to a hearing, much less any kind of vote on the floor. Uh, but redistricting is still an issue. We sort of don't pay attention, unfortunately, as a, as a community or as citizens until the census every 10 years. But we need to pay attention every year. Mm -hmm. um, and we've committed ourselves for basically the next eight years to work on this issue of redistricting. In addition, the um, Democrats in the legislature filed suit over the maps that were drawn for the state House of Representatives people and the congressional map. And I, I think a lot of people know about how awful the congressional map is. It's sort of a poster child for gerrymandering because the first district goes all the way from the Mississippi River, winds all along the Tennessee border, and then comes up all the way north to Frankfurt and includes the state capital in the first district. And when you look at the map, you go, how does anybody think that there's anything fair about this? Plus, it just doesn't make any sense, not the least of which it looks bad. So redistricting is still there because the court in Franklin uh, Circuit Court ruled against the Democrats' lawsuit, but the question is now they have 30 days to appeal. I don't know. I presume they're going to appeal that, but I've not heard yet whether, in fact, they are doing it. But they, I think that was decided a couple of weeks ago, and they have, like I said, they have 30 days to appeal. So that's still out there. And The Kentucky Democratic Party did indeed appeal the judge's ruling to the Kentucky Court of Appeals and asked that court to transfer the case to the Kentucky Supreme Court. Democrats are challenging maps for the state house where Republicans gained an 80 to 20 majority over the Democrats and U.S. Congress. The challenge does not include the newly drawn state Senate maps. Then there can be other issues that come before the legislature. We will find out about them. And that could be some voting regulations, new ones or different ones. Obviously, we would be right there. We have a legislative team from the state that will monitor all that and will try to get uh, local support all over the state for any of those issues that we support or that we are against. Mm -hmm. And I know your listeners know how easy it is to contact the legislature Call the 800 number. Now get out a pen and paper. I'm going to give you that number to contact your state legislators in Frankfurt. It is a toll-free line, 1-800-372-7181. Again, 1-800-372-7181. Those are some of the nicest people that work in state government. They'll take your call. You tell them what you're for, what you're against who you want to want to get that message you can have your own legislator get that message and you can actually have them tell you who your legislator is if you don't know or you could say i want all legislators senators and representatives to get this message 
I am for this bill, I am against this bill. You know, want them to know. So it's easy to do. Again, that number to contact state legislators in Frankfurt is 1-800-372-7181. And you know, one of the things, as I've worked on redistricting in the last four or five years, is what I try to say to people when they say, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. What happens in Frankfurt does not stay in Frankfurt because they pass laws uh, that affect taxes. They pass laws that affect our roads, our schools, tourism, estates, like when people die, economic development, jobs, you name it, our health, you name it, what they do in Frankfurt affects all of us, and this is why we have to pay attention to what goes on in Frankfurt, not just, for example, if you live in Louisville, you say, oh, I'm just focused on Louisville. And if you want to put your efforts just locally, that's fine, but you need to be aware of what's happening in Frankfurt right. uh, also. So many issues that yes. are controlled from Frankfurt. Yes, <laughs> especially voting, which I know you have some questions about. Yes, and I wanted to mention, too, Professor Haynes had brought up something that I didn't realize, that when women got their right with the 19th Amendment, their right to vote, only one-third of women voted. And that was the reason, one of the reasons behind the establishment of the League of Women Voters, wasn't it? To educate people and to tell them, and, and that's what you're doing with these Democracy in Action meetings, right, right. Is, is educating people with various experts in various fields coming and giving presentations at your meetings. Right. So you are quite the resource. <laughs> well, I hope so. And we hope to make that better. You know, I think because of the pandemic, people don't necessarily show up to meetings as much as maybe they used to because there's still some fears about COVID and then now the flu. Um, and so one of the things that we are working on is we've got to up our game technologically so that not only you who comes in records these meetings so that you can rebroadcast them, we need to be able to live stream them. We're even investigating whether we need to have a YouTube channel so that we can get this information out to even a broader mm -hmm. uh, audience. Because you're right. What happened is in August of 1920 is when the 19th Amendment officially became attached to the Constitution so women could vote. And in that presidential election of 1920, you're right, only about a third of women who would have been eligible to mm -hmm. vote uh, voted. How many were registered? I don't know those numbers, you know, so you have to get people registered. Uh, there's a famous story. We had Carrie Chapman Katz, great-great-granddaughter, I guess, who spoke at the League a couple of years ago and also spoke at Women's Equality Day. And she told this story about how her relatives, they didn't know what to do. The women, you know, where do we go? What do we do? What do we have to tell them? What do we have to sign? How do we find out about candidates and issues? So that was the impetus for, which it actually started earlier in the year, in February of 1920, the National League of Women Voters began. And then in November of 1920, the Louisville League of Women Voters began. So again, you're right. How do we educate people about registering, then voting, and what are all the issues? So you're right, that's yeah. very critical. And the last thing I want to say about what we know is uh, even though women got the right to vote in 1920, we know that the vestiges of Jim Crow still lingered. And so the South especially, but even other places, 
kept black men from voting and kept black women from voting. So not until the 1965 Voting Rights Act mm -hmm. uh, do we have protections for all people to vote. And something that became uh, more obvious was during the pandemic when we had the 2020 election and we had voting centers and we had no excuse early voting. Mm -hmm. We had drop boxes, mail-in voting. So we opened the voting up to a lot more people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And guess what? A lot more people voted. And that is an indication that there are real inconveniences to a lot of people. Like when I first moved here from Minnesota, I was used to going to the polls at 8 because they would close at 9. But when we got here, oh my God, we... 6 o'clock, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., that leaves out a lot of people who just cannot make it during those hours. Right, right. So, I mean, right off the bat, we've got obstructions to voting. So that opens up the idea now. We have more tools available that we're not using, you know, like having multiple voting centers, like having um, no excuse early voting or mail-in voting. Mm -hmm. So, um, is the league doing anything with any of those? Well, we actually tried to work with and did work some with the Secretary of State and the Boards of Elections, uh, both statewide and locally, particularly in 20. The sort of expansion for voting that they had in the spring for the primary in, in uh, 2020 was really terrific. Our concern was that was not going to happen for the fall and we've filed suit with the ACLU and the NAACP to try to get that to happen. Well, they did pass, the legislature passed some temporary arrangements that opened up the fall, so we dropped our lawsuit. Unfortunately, the Secretary of State has sort of taken that personally, and so we've been working to get back in his good graces and helping him understand we just want, yes, security for voting, that's, that's important, but that it ought to be expansive. So what has come out of that and what happened last year in any voting as well as this year in the midterms is we did have three days of early voting, no excuse, and that was the Saturday, Friday, and Thursday before the election. And then we had six business days before that that if you had an excuse. And there's a list of excuses, it's, and it's pretty broad. It could be broader. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, why can't that be a month? Mm -hmm. uh, as to the time that you've talked about, there was an attempt in the legislature, and I believe this was in 20, to have even the polls open to 7 o'clock, but that uh, did not pass. And some of this are just old-time laws that we had back when we were much more a rural, uh, even though Kentucky is still a very rural state, rural farm economy. Uh, and that and, and that's why it was always on Tuesday. It was away on Monday after Sunday, Monday for people to come into the county seat uh, to vote. But you're right with the tools that we have, particularly all of the uh, ways we have with voting machines, et cetera. There's no reason that regardless of where you live in Jefferson County, that you could vote anywhere. Uh, there's just no reason for that because if you vote early, and, and we did have several, I think there were six early voting centers you could go to, because I voted early because I was going to be out of town. For that one, I had to go to the one I went downtown 
Uh, that was for the six business days of early voting when you had an excuse because I had an excuse. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason you can't go anywhere because they have all the information. You give them your identification. They look up. They can give you the right ballot. That should be able to be done all over the county mm-hmm. at any time so that people who work, some people work 7 to 3, some people work 3 to 11, some people work 11 to 7, mm-hmm. that there's no issue. Right. Now, I will say this. In Kentucky, it's much better than some of the states. I know you've read about Florida and Texas, uh, even North Carolina and Alabama, terrible things that have happened at those places, even in, even in, in places like I've read about in Iowa where they've done things. That's important, but at the same time, and this is part of our educational push, how do we get people, though, to turn out? So even with access, if the turnout doesn't hit like it does in some countries, 90 95%, then what's going on? What should we do about that? Um, I used to sort of think that, well, we just need to say to people, okay, you didn't vote, then you just can't complain. Well, that's a simplistic uh, response. And so that's, again, why I've sort of pushed this, whatever happens in Frankfurt doesn't stay in Frankfurt. People need to understand, and that's part of our education now, understand how what these leaders who pass laws, how that affects us. Now, that's a real issue with young people because, you know, they're busy doing other things. Maybe they're looking for a job or they have a new job or... Uh, they're in college, and well, so how does this affect me? So yesterday when I spoke to a high school class, and it was exciting that almost half of them had voted because they had turned 18 before uh, the election. What I tried to focus on with them is to help them understand how voting affected them, even though they were only 18, or even if they were in college, how it affected them. Everything that happens with our laws affects all of our daily lives. So that's a real push we have to work on is getting people engaged, civic engagement. And I think you and I talked about it. We had six programs at the public library this summer and fall on civic engagement, trying to help people understand how you get uh, involved. Yeah, that's one of the hardest and most important nuts to crack, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was listening on, I think it was KET, Renee Shaw, she was interviewing Stephen Heinz and one other person, and he is uh, on the Commission on the Practice of Democratic Citizenship. It looks to me like a very good group of people. They held nationwide listening sessions, and what they found from the young people that they were interviewing was that most young people are very idealistic, but they're very turned off by the whole political process because it has gotten so nasty. Mm -hmm. They just think it's dirty business and they're turned off. So, you know, there are some examples of young people pushing things in their high school civics programs like rank choice voting Mm -hmm. or democracy vouchers or, you know, something like that that really inspires them. Yeah, or even independent redistricting commissions, that's what they pushed, the young people did in Michigan, Mm -hmm. and they were able to get it passed in the legislature. So I wonder if that's the kind of mechanism for getting young people reactivated, because apparently they're turned off right now. Right. Well, I think you're right in the sense of, and part of it is getting, what's the, the focus? Now, one of our things that we're also working on 
not only with the legislature, as I talked about, but even just on a, on a local level, is uh, registering and then getting out the vote of people who've had their voting rights restored. In other words, people who had felonies, but their voting rights get restored. Because Kentucky is only one of three states that automatically, automatically says if you've been convicted of a felony that you can't vote. I might add, even though you've completed your sentence. And all of that grew out of Jim Crow because the focus was on trying to keep black males from voting. And our Constitution was written in the 1890s. So for us to have a part of our Constitution that, in fact, uh, if you have been convicted of a felony, you can't vote, that, that sort of grew out of that. So I think that would attract some young people. Uh, because they would see that as a justice issue. Yeah. Um, I think the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and all of those kind of justice things for people of color are something that, can, that attracts young people. And mm-hmm. what I think they understand, if they've gotten involved in that, and we can help with that in furthering that kind of education, is, for example, judges are involved in the justice system. And you might have read in the paper that there were like 200,000 people who voted for somebody at the top of the of the ballot, but you get down to the judges and it dropped off, I think, like to 100,000. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what happened. The judges have to fight against the fact that they're at the bottom of the ballot and people don't know judges. You know yourself. I have people, because I'm an attorney, ask me. I probably have 50-plus people ask me who to vote for for the judges. You have such power, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. And so, the, you know, p- part of it, I think, for young people and those kinds of movements, the justice movements, et cetera, that we can get them more engaged by understanding that even these, mm-hmm. and you might want to call them, some people would call them lower courts or, you know, l- low-ballot places, those judges affect people's lives. And so, for example, yesterday, one of the things I talked about is if you get a ticket, you don't have to tell me if you've ever gotten a, a ticket, but that's going to be affected by judge a judge, a judge in district court. If your family falls apart and there's a divorce, which happens to, to people, and again, you don't have to tell me it's happened to you, that's affected by what a judge does. So I think there are lots of different ways And I think people say, oh, we're not teaching civics anymore. I think we actually are teaching civics based upon my, what I can find out and what I've researched. But the question is, how do we translate that into engagement? And one of the things that I've tried to emphasize to people is, and we did this with the civic engagement course at the library, was you can be engaged in lots of different ways. You can just join an organization, and by your membership, you are engaged because maybe you've paid your dues. That helps. You can be more actively engaged in that particular organization. You can give money to lots of different organizations that you think are supporting the issues uh, that you support. Or you can get really involved in a movement, whatever it is. Part of my becoming more involved with the league is after I was retired, I wanted to still stay involved. This is voting in U.S. history and all the, how all that is related has always been one of my passions because I taught history, have a master's in history. So this was just sort of automatic for me. Mm-hmm. So part that's part of people finding out. Now, one of the issues is we've got young people who maybe yet have not started families and are married. They've got more time, 
And then we have a whole group who've started families working. In fact, that's a factor for the league and lots of volunteer organizations because women used to make up most of those volunteers. Now, if they're working, have families, have small children, they don't have the time. But how can we still keep them engaged? Well, this is where things like the internet have been good. And even though there are people who are very critical of Facebook uh, and all of the things like Instagram and all of those things, young people, they communicate that way. So if they can stay in touch with each other and stay on top of issues through that, then I'm fine with that, even though you know, we who are older might not like to communicate that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, can they stay on top of issues? And even if they're tied up with their families and their small children, either through that and getting other people to vote. Um, and I think a perfect example was Amendment 2. So Amendment 2 that was defeated, and we can talk about Amendment 1 in mm-hmm. a moment, but I think Amendment 2 generated such huge interest among women and young people of all ages that it got them involved in a way that they had not maybe not been involved before. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can we keep them involved? Yeah. Uh, and that's the hard part. And right. that's part of the education part. Mm-hmm. And so it's get people registered, get them to vote, and keep voting and be involved. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up about all of our newer technologies because that is opening things up to people who cannot leave home, who have other responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I'll put a plug in for the radio station, too. (laughs) You can get on our radio station from your home. It's very, very easy. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) And we invite students who are interested in any aspect of history or politics or journalism or English to consider coming on the radio, sharpening up your skills, learning radio production. We can mentor you, and you can do it from home. So um, social media has gotten a bad rap because it's like the Wild West out there. And, you know, one of the things that happens when a new technology opens up, just like when cars first came on the scene, we had many accidents because we had no rules of the road right and lots of people died and and horrible things happened and I see it the same as with the internet is that we're going to have to start establishing some rules of discourse some rules of civic engagement no disinformation all the false information that's on there yes all the false and that's another reason we need the league (laughs) I think that when it comes to the internet anyone who uses the internet just like we use our public roadways needs to get a license of some kind on civic engagement. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) On the proper etiquette and the way to talk to other people over the internet. Yeah. Exactly. People don't know. They, They just react on their emotions. And it would be a good way for us to become more empathetic and more into a listening and and reflective mode rather than knee jerk reactivity. So. Well, it's the kind of thing I used to tell my clients, you know, you need to reread your email or reread your text before you send it. Now, part of that had to do with the fact that I did a lot of divorce work. And, you know, it did not help during, you know, all of that for, for you to just pop off this first thought that comes out of your mind. So, yes. Uh, and then, you know, the disinformation issue. Let's face it, we could spend a whole other discussion about disinformation. Let me ask you... A question about disinformation. 
you know, there is a significant proportion of our population that believes, sincerely believes, that the voting was unfair and it was fraudulent. And that is an example of misinformation according to all the data that was collected and all the monitoring mm -hmm. and all the court cases. So how do you deal with such an issue? I mean, to me, it says that it's a threat to democracy if a, a large proportion of the public doesn't believe voting is fair. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, I think there's sort of a couple of parts to that. We think that if you reason with someone and then you show them the, the data, uh, that that will explain it to them. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to work. So I think we have to approach it in many other different ways. In other words, sort of think about it, go come back to ourselves. Why have this particular group or that particular group become so disenchanted with the system? You know, uh, and is it more than just voting? Uh, is it jobs? Is it economic? Apparently, all through our history, there has been not maybe as many as now, but a substantial portion of our population who's been very suspicious of, and they didn't have the internet back uh, a long time ago, but the know-nothings, for example, were a group uh, in the 1830s that were anti-Jews, anti-Catholics, anti-immigrants, and as, as well as they could, spread all kinds of malicious information. Then it was only done with newspapers uh, and pamphlets but they still were able to spread that uh, information. And now we have this whole echo chamber of the internet. So it just makes it harder. So part of what the league works on in all of our programs all over the country through the local leagues and the state leagues and the national leagues is getting out the best information and then also trying to listen to people. And I think it's, it's just a very difficult difficult thing to do. And then, let's face it, you know, I'm not going to bring up names. I don't have to bring up names. Unfortunately, we've had a group of politicians who have used that for political power. They're not interested in what's best for the country or even best for their constituents, but they want to stay in power, and that's a real issue. Uh, one of our congressmen who will remain nameless was on TV the other night. And he seemed to be saying just the usual sorts of stuff. Uh, and what I really wanted uh, to say to him was, all right, you were elected by a certain group of people, but everybody else in that district you represent too. In other words, you represent all of the people in your district, not just the ones that voted for you. And I think that's what they forget. Because you hear politicians say, well, I'm just doing what my constituents wants. Well, there's two parts to that. You have a lot of constituents who didn't vote for you and you still represent them. And then there is the bigger picture of what's best in the long run and best for the country or best for your state, apart from maybe a very vocal group that says, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. One of my favorite uh, politicians from the past was John Sherman Cooper, who was a Republican. I'm not sure there are any Republicans like that anymore, but he was what we would call a statesman. He voted 
for what was best as a senator, what was best for the country, not just the narrow views of Kentucky. In other words, he understood the bigger picture, and that's very hard. But to go back to some of the, the voting misinformations, what's really interesting is for people who say, oh, Biden didn't win, or the election wasn't fair. So was it not fair for everybody? Because, for example, there were Republicans elected in that election. So if it wasn't fair here, is then it wasn't fair for everybody. So do they just want to throw everybody out and start all over? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's an interesting mm-hmm. thought, mm-hmm. which reminds me of something. Um, a long time ago, and it was in The Courier, and it's been many, many, many years, uh, someone wrote an article that talked about, okay, if, in fact, when we have an election, besides the people that are on the ballot, we could have none of the above. If none of the above won two elections in a row, then you would just get rid of that office. <gasps> right. Which is is both hilarious, but it's sort of an interesting concept. But I think uh-huh. part of it was to show that if we have poor candidates... You know, we're not being served, and then that's that that's an issue, too. Mm-hmm. Then that gets us to voters trying to learn about candidates. So one of the things I talked about in, in the class yesterday was there's really not any excuse for not knowing about candidates in this day and age. Even with the judges, they all had websites. You can go on the Courier-Journal, interviewed them. Uh, the league, we did not work on it locally, but they did statewide vote 411 where candidates are asked questions. There were forums all over the city and the state, and they were publicized through live streaming, Facebook, uh, all those kinds of things. So in that sense, there's really not any excuse for not knowing about a candidate, people mm-hmm. that are going to make decisions that affect your lives. Mm-hmm. But again, people have to be engaged, and that's... I think the bigger issue, how do we get people engaged? And getting back to the notion of not trusting the The elections and then handing people data and still them not believing in, and then you were talking about politicians who are just going after power instead of what's right for the democracy and for their constituents. My feeling is that and I think it's true of liberals and conservatives, is that people end up believing the people they trust or their leaders. That's who they look to for what they consider to be factual information. Mm -hmm. And when a significant number of political leaders are telling their constituents that the election was fraudulent, that's, it seems to me, where the real issue lies is not so much people not believing the data that they're being fed or that they're seeing, but but leaders who should know better and who should be ethical and tell the truth, deliberately lying. And that's what I think is what they're doing. They know that the elections were valid, mm-hmm. and yet they're lying mm-hmm. for their own self-gain and power. Mm-hmm. And um, that to me is just extremely upsetting that we have such a large number of so-called leaders willing to do that, willing right. to lie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very disheartening, very disheartening. And, you know, for those of us who are older, it makes us 
concern for our children and our grandchildren. It's what's going to happen in the future. But then there are those who say, well, the pendulum will swing back. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Hopefully, hopefully it will. Yeah. I like for the pendulum to swing to the center, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I agree. Uh, for, I agree. Sure. for sure. Because there's lying on both the left and the right. There's lying on both sides, although when it comes to something like election validity, that seems to be more on the right. Yeah, I think we have to make a better effort on all sides to speak more factually. And at the same time, understand where someone coming from mm -hmm. and, and how do you respond to them. They name call, do you name call back? No. Mm -hmm. And how do you do it? And that's hard and that's been hard. hard for people even within families yes. uh, that we know. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's just, it is because yeah. perspectives, you know, all we really can have is perspectives. We can't ever have the entire truth. So exactly. we have to give people the benefit of the doubt and find out where they're coming from. Right, which... exactly. And you are listening to WFMP 106.5 FM with me, your host Ruth Newman, on Election Connection. My guest today is Dee Pregliasco. She is president of the Louisville League of Women Voters, vice president of the Kentucky League of Women Voters, retired attorney and practicing mediator. Before we finish, I want to be sure and talk about yeah. in Congress, uh, which of course we know is going to change hands at the end of the year, but the beginning of the new year, but they did pass We the People Act, which actually would make some voting changes that I think would be really, really helpful. Unfortunately, the Senate has not uh, passed them. And that would have set up, for example, why isn't uh, voting day in November, if it's a Tuesday, why shouldn't it be a national holiday? Unfortunately, our senators are not for that. Making uh, it easier to register to vote. Some states do have same-day registration. One of the one things that's really critical is shoring up the process for certifying the election uh, so we don't have another January the 6th. And that's critical. That's a separate bill that they are working on. Now, whether they get that passed or not, I don't know. So there are lots of things... And part of the issue is that our Constitution left a lot of things involving voting. First off, the Constitution says very little about voting, except for these amendments. Mm -hmm. But have left that all of that election organization to the states. And states, you know, they don't want to give up their rights. And so that's where that problem uh, is occurring. But actually, I think there's nothing wrong with it having ID voting in and of itself, but if you've done things like Alabama did, where people got their IDs were at the driver's license center. They closed something like 60 of those places, primarily in counties that were predominantly black or had a huge black population. Well, that's so obvious. I mean, it's like, really, do you think we're so stupid? We don't know what you're doing there. So it's not that having an ID is the issue so much as what are you doing to keep people from getting an ID easily? Now, in Kentucky, um, you can get IDs from the circuit clerks, well, now from the transportation department, because a lot of people don't have driver's license. Exactly. Yeah, especially young people. A lot of young people, particularly mm -hmm. in large cities, don't have a driver's license because they don't need them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's good public transportation. And not only that, but um, I just to try to test it out because all the information was talking about getting voter ID from the Department of Motor Vehicles. So I went online and on, on 
the Kentucky Department of Motor Vehicles, and there was nothing at all about voter ID. You couldn't find any information. It was all about driver's licenses. Right. And if you, I spent about an hour going through, going to every single window. There was something at the bottom of one screen that talked about renewing your voter ID, but nothing about obtaining a voter ID. Mm -hmm. And yet, that was where you were supposed to go to the DMV <laughs> to get voter ID, and there's nothing on their website about right. it. And I called the per I called them up and complained. And so, and it, and it really shouldn't be called a voter ID. It should just be called an ID. And in Kentucky. You can use uh, school IDs like uh, colleges and other kinds of IDs. Not just mm -hmm. it's not just a driver's license. But it has to be if you're a, if you have a college ID, it has to have a photo. Photo of you, right? And not all college IDs, I don't think, do. I don't. I don't know. I know U of L does because I have one. <laughs> it's, uh, on, uh, it's on there. So really, what we've been talking about, I think, it's really important. Is these are all continuing issues. We need to be mm -hmm. alert. Uh, we need to continue all of our education of all of this, all of our work to try to engage people civically, engage them uh, in what's going on in their community. That's difficult, but part of it is we need our leaders to engage them. Uh, we had some people who talked about they didn't know who their Metro Council person was. Well, you can go online really, really easily, and if you can't do it, if you can get a friend to do it or get your children to do it, and based upon your address, know who your Metro Council person is. Mm -hmm. It's easy to contact them. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them, as far as I know, because I get three of them, they put out every week or every two weeks, put out you know, sort of a, a letter to their constituents, talk about what's going on, what's going on about traffic in their neighborhoods, are the streets that are being worked on, mm -hmm. um, the groups that are having activities. So there's a way to know what's going on. It's just a matter of can we get more people? We're not going to get everybody, but can we get more people engaged in their local community and their state community? Yeah, and local so. is really where it's at. Local yes. is where you know the people. You can meet the people. Right. You know, you can have an influence on what's going on in government. It's much easier at a local level. Right. And more fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, we even had school board races uh, this year. We had four school board members uh, were up for re-election, and they were challenged. Uh, all the incumbents won. Uh, the league sponsored uh, forums, and also the CJ sponsored forums about the mm -hmm. school boards. School board races are important, too, locally, because that affects, obviously, our public schools. There have been some attempts all over the country to try to sort of take over school boards. And personally, and, and based upon the league's positions, our concern is the idea is to take over these uh, public school boards to try to get rid of, basically, public education. And yet, if you're a real constitutionalist and if you really know our history, the forefathers, our founding fathers, all supported how important that public education was, that a democracy could not survive if the public was not educated. Uh, not everybody can afford private education. And obviously, there was lots of private education back in colonial times, and particularly in the South, who had fewer public schools than the North. But again, it's critical that we understand that the public, which is most everybody, not people who can afford the private education, needs to be educated about the role of public schools in a democracy. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's critical. 
Uh, so regardless of your beliefs about charter schools or private schools, I have no problem with private schools. I just don't want, and the league doesn't want, and we that's something we would fight in Frankfurt. And there's actually a lawsuit now about the tax credits that were given the last legislature to people who give money to groups that then would fund private schools. So that's still an issue. And the league is very much that no no public money should go toward the funding in any kind of way mm -hmm. uh, to help private schools. Right. Again, I have neighbors who send their kids to private schools. That's fine. They can do that, but they have to pay for that. But the public mm -hmm. schools benefit everybody. And their kids could go to the public schools if they wanted them to. So it's not as though we're keeping them out of the public schools. Yeah. So yeah. that's critical. What's critical about all of this? Voting, voting. The league does support various issues, even though the league yes. is nonpartisan. Yes. Yeah, and I want to emphasize that because we've been attacked recently. Uh, one of our former legislators who writes articles for the Courier periodically, I think he did this on KET, called us, we were the League of Liberal Women Voters. Ah. Okay, so first off, yeah, we are nonpartisan, but we do support issues. And if you support those issues, we don't care if you're Republican, Independent, Democrat, it doesn't matter. If you support that issue, we're with you on that particular issue. And actually, you know what? I think liberal and conservative don't really mean anything anymore. Certainly, I feel stronger about it as far as a conservative in the sense of if you look at what conservatives supported 30 years ago and what they're supporting now, you know, that that's important to make some distinctions. Mm -hmm. But we are for public education. If that makes us liberal, so be it, or whatever term you want to. We're for felons getting their voting rights restored. Same thing. That is former felons. Uh, we don't want so many people incarcerated. Uh, you know, and, and in fact, you brought that up uh, when we were mm -hmm. discussing this at the beginning. In Kentucky, people that are in prisons for purpose of redistricting are counted in those particular counties, which in Kentucky are all rural. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're counted there, but then they don't have the right to vote, uh, which is kind of interesting. So and most a, of them are from cities. Yes, and most <laughs> of them are from cities. So our maximum security prison, Eddyville, down in western Kentucky, is in a very, very rural community. Even the ones in Oldham County. Oldham County is still a rural community. Uh, we have them out uh, several in eastern Kentucky. And unfortunately, uh, Kentucky has the seventh highest incarceration rate per our population in the world, not just in wow. the United States, but in the world. And what we've really tried to do, and so therefore, if you want to say the league is liberal because we're against that, that's fine, because we can't incarcerate ourselves out of our social problems. Right. We have homelessness, we have poverty, we have drug addiction. Incarceration is not going to solve those problems. Right. We have poorly educated people. Incarceration is not going to solve that problem right. too. Right. Uh, we have terrible health problems in Kentucky. Anyway, incarceration is not going to work. So yeah. if you want to call us liberal because of that, go right ahead. But those are issues certainly uh, that are important to us. Now the National League has started a, a, a group to study all of the whole immigration uh, issue, which is an issue. Understandably, and you know, uh, Congressman Mazzoli died recently, and he was the architect of the last time we really had any immigration reform uh, in the 80s. So we haven't done anything. 
to make things better as far as immigration. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you also about automatic registration. Why is it that we can't have automatic registration as soon as somebody turns 18? Laws would have to be passed to do that. Why is it that people have to be the ones to take the initiative to register themselves Mm -hmm. to vote when it should be something that everybody has the right to do once they become a citizen and turn 18? Well, once men turn 18, they get a notice from... Selective service mm-hmm. about signing up in case we were to have a draft in the future. Uh-huh. They have to be signed up. So again, why couldn't people get a notice? You are now registered to vote. You still have to fill out some things, probably mm-hmm. fill out some paperwork, but mm-hmm. why not? And that's another thing about filling out paperwork, I think, is when I was talking to Kim Wyman, who's Secretary of State for the state of Washington, and uh, they have universal mail-in voting Mm-hmm. And she said to me that it is much more secure to match signatures than it is to identify someone by their photo. She says it's much tighter. It's a much tighter process. Mm-hmm. So, you know. There are lots of things that we could change about it. Yeah. You know, but people are really always opposed to change. People like the status quo. Uh, mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. if you add into that all of this disinformation and this unreasonable fear about, oh, our elections are being stolen, then it makes it even harder to make those changes Mm -hmm. that need to be made because we're not, Mm -hmm. it's not 1789, it's not 1860, it's not 1900, it's not even 2000. It's 2000 now, soon to be 2023. Amazing to me, amazing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, in Australia, I believe it's Australia. Yes. They find you if they you find don't vote. people who don't who don't vote. Right, exactly. And they have about a ninety five percent turnout rate. Yeah. I don't know what the fines are. People do get fined if they don't vote. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean just the fact that that I have to pay two dollars every time I go over the bridge. I don't go over the bridge. I take <laughs> I take the second street. It's just those little amounts of money that's affect people's behavior. Mm -hmm. So I I think anything that can encourage people to vote, Mm -hmm. you know, just like returning bottles, you know, for recycling and getting a deposit back. Right. Something, something where, you know, there's an incentive there. Right, exactly. So, Well, I remember, I don't know if you remember when we first went into Iraq and they had their first free election, the turnout was something like 98%, and we just cheered and cheered, and I'm thinking... Yeah, but ours is always less than 50%. I mean, <laughs> we should be so embarrassed by that. Yes, yes. And there's reasons. There are reasons. It's not like we're lazier people or more ignorant people. It's that we're not motivated. And I, I blame that on a lot of things. So anyway, I want to thank you, Dee. Oh, you're welcome. I'm show. glad to be here. I, I enjoy this. And to me, it's a continuing way to help educate people about yes, voting and yes. all the issues that relate to voting. And give people your uh, website and maybe your address and talk more about the democracy in action. Okay. Well, Lang House is located on the edge of Crescent Hill there on Ewing, right there by Frankfurt Avenue. You can't miss it. And we do have that democracy in action every third Monday. So starting in January, we'll have them through May. July is when we always have our annual meeting. We usually take July and August off, and then we would start again uh, in the fall. And uh, our website is LWVL, in other words, League of Women Voters of Louisville. Just search Louisville League of Women Voters. 
and you can find us. Or you can also go to the state website, which would be the League of Women Voters of Kentucky. And the national website has lots of wonderful information. So that's League of Women Voters U.S. Mm -hmm. And you can get all kinds of uh, information. I would also push the Brennan Center for Justice out of uh, NYU in New York. Their web address is www.brennan, spelt B as in Barbara, R-E-N-N -N, as in Nancy, both N's, A-N, center.org. So the address is www.brennancenter.org. And they have amazing amounts of great information about voting and all kinds of justice information. Uh, and then the, the, the web is full of all kinds of, for example, there's women in the law that's really good out of uh, the University of Texas. There's one on uh, justice and racial issues out of um, Rutgers University. And so just be aware, there's just lots of good information out there about our history, voting, justice, all kinds of things. Uh, people can be easily informed. And let me point out that even if you're not a woman, you can be a member of oh, the thank League of you. Women yes. Voters. I'm so, I'm so pleased you reminded me of that. Yes, anyone age 16 and older can be a member of the League. And as I told the students yesterday, because they're students, they don't have to pay dues as long as they're students. And so they can join. And so I'm going to get that teacher some forms to fill out so that they can fill out to join. Uh, I should have t actually taken them with me yesterday, and I didn't, but I, I let them know about it. And I figure they can go online pretty easily. Uh, and do that if they're really interested. So I'll be interested to see if any of them join us Good. after good. my speech yesterday. Very so, good. All right. Thank you. We need you. more people going out and giving talks. I think that's one of the key things is people ha having interactions. Yes. Thank you, Dee, for being You're on welcome. my show. All right. I enjoyed it as always. That was Dee Pregliasco, president of the Louisville League of Women Voters, vice president of the Kentucky League of Women Voters, retired attorney and practicing mediator, and she was presenting her views and the League's positions on access to voting, obstacles to voting, and to fair one-person, one-vote representation, and much more. And this is Ruth Newman, host of Election Connection, inviting you to seek credible information sources like the League of Women Voters and other sources mentioned on this show. Do your own research and find worthy organizations to support, like, I hope, Forward Radio, your all-volunteer community radio station at www.forwardradio.org dedicated to strengthening our democratic foundations. Now what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. Now what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. The seeds you sow will spread democracy. You need to know. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. We are your election.